perspective, the Second World War must be almost ancient history. And that made the murder, which he'd come all this way to see with his own eyes, ancient history too. The Major suddenly felt very old. The driver edged the car through the gates and onto a concrete road which was rutted and cracked after nearly a quarter of a century of total neglect. The road was flanked by a series of long wooden huts, so rickety that it seemed that a single jab of a finger would bring them crashing down like a row of dominoes. "'Hard to believe that this is one of the places they'd launched the invasion of Normandy from, isn't it, sir?' the driver asked over his shoulder. "'Yeah,' Garrett agreed. The huts petered out, and ahead of the car lay a large concrete rectangle, dappled with patches of green where the grass and weeds had forced their way through. Beyond the parade ground was another chain-link fence, and standing close to it were a small group of men. "'Stop here,' Garrett ordered. "'I'll walk the rest of the way.' "'Are you sure about that, sir?' the driver asked. There's no need to worry about damaging the car, you know. The suspension will take it, as long as I drive slowly. I'm not worried about the car, Garrett told him. I need a little time to think. As he marched briskly across the ruined parade ground, Garrett looked neither to the left nor to the right. Instead, he appeared to be keeping his eyes focused on the men standing around a slight depression in the ground. But even that was not strictly accurate. He was not so much looking at them as looking through them gazing towards a possible future he would prefer to avoid, but suspected was unstoppable. He came to a final halt at the very edge of the shallow hole and gazed down into it. The human skull which lay there seemed, despite its lack of eyes, to be looking up at him, and even without teeth, appeared to be greeting him with a macabre grin. Nor was the skull occupying the hole alone. There were other bones in evidence too—ribs, femurs, fingers— The men who had partly disinterred this body had had no expectation of making such a dramatic discovery, Garrett thought. And why should they have? They were not archaeologists, but builders. Their intent was not to uncover the past, but to construct the future. Yet it had fallen to them to finally reveal, by total accident, the corpse of a man whom the most powerful military machine in the world had failed to find, even when the trail was fresh. "'I'm Inspector Clarence Dudley of the Devonshire Constabulary.' said a voice. Garrett looked up. The speaker was a man in his mid-forties. He was wearing a long white Mackintosh and the kind of bowler hat much favoured by actors playing British policemen in cheaply made B-pictures. "'Well, there's the corpse,' Dudley said, with a banality perfectly in tune with his B-picture appearance. Garrett looked down into the hole again. "'Are you sure this guy really is Robert Keneally?' he asked his tone half-suggesting that he was hoping for a reply in the negative. Dudley shrugged. "'That's what it says on his identification tags,' he answered. Major Garrett knelt down and examined the dog tags for himself. One of them, he noted, was partly obscured by a dark brown blob, which was made up of swirling lines. "'It's a bloody fingerprint,' Dudley said helpfully. "'Yeah, I just about figured that out for myself,' Garrett replied over his shoulder." The second set of tags, which had no evidence of bloodstains on them, had once belonged to a Robert T. Keneally, who had been immunized against tetanus, hailed from Connecticut, and had listed Martha Keneally as his next of kin. Perhaps it wasn't him, Garrett told himself. These were undoubtedly Keneally's tags, but perhaps the body was somebody else's. Yeah, right, he thought, with self-disgust. In his time, he'd known soldiers who would sell army equipment— and even their own weapons, if they thought that they could get away with it. But a man's dog tags were something else. 
They didn't belong to him. They were part of him. Sometimes when the battle was finally over, the only part of him which was still recognisable. So whether Garrett liked it or not, and he most definitely didn't, he was forced to accept that he was now staring down at the last mortal remains of Robert Keneally, which the State and Defence Departments were just going to love because what they really needed at that particular delicate moment was flack from Senator Eugene Keneally. The high-level meeting had started out amicably enough, but it was now in its third hour, and tempers were becoming heated. "'For Christ's sake, what's the problem here?' the four-star American general was demanding. First we fight a bloody war for you, then we step in to protect you from the goddamn Ruskies, and what do we want in return? All we're asking for is a tiny piece of land, which even in a rinky-dinky country like this you'd never even miss. The civil servants, flanking the right Honourable Douglas Coots, Minister of Defence, stiffened. The minister himself bit back the first words which had come.